0: Welcome to This Week in California Education. I'm Lewis Friedberg.
1: And I'm John Fensterwald.
0: Well, John, people in Sacramento are hard at work, at least people on the Appropriations Committee, considering hundreds of bills to see how much they're going to cost in order to move these through the legislature so that they can actually vote on them and get them to the governor's desk bunch of really interesting bills, but we thought we'd take a different tack this week and actually get outside and look at playgrounds to talk with some people who are really doing some remarkable work around rethinking playgrounds to make them accessible to all kids. The Americans with Disability Act does have requirements that all playgrounds be accessible, but apparently those regulations don't help make these playgrounds fully inclusive.
1: That's right. About one in every five members of our community has a disability, and one in 45 is autistic. And that number is supposed to go up a lot over the next decade. Olenka Villarreal of Palo Alto, she wanted to make playgrounds more accessible, and she actually did something about it. She's the founder and executive director of the Magical Bridge Foundation. For seven years, she worked with the city of Palo Alto to open a playground in 2015 that is believed to be the first, or one of the first, fully inclusive playgrounds in the nation.
0: Well, we got Alenka on the line and asked her about what a fully inclusive playground looks like and what inspired her to take on this challenge in the first place.
2: So when my second daughter Ava was born, she was born with some physical and cognitive disabilities until this day. She's 15 now. We still don't know exactly what her situation is, but she is cognitively significantly delayed. And when she was much younger, we took her through specialists and they indicated that she would benefit tremendously through movement. And so as I was searching for playgrounds to take her to, I recognized very early on, she was not able to enjoy any of the equipment. She wasn't able to hold on to the swings. She couldn't sit up in any of the um, pieces of the equipment. So I found myself going to an indoor facility where they were swinging her for $150 for 20 minutes. And I could only go there once a week because they were so busy. So that was my aha moment where I wondered, well, where are the other children and adults that have disabilities going to enjoy the public playgrounds?
0: I gather you had to actually travel outside of Palo Alto quite a long distance to find a place where you and your two daughters could play together?
2: We did, we traveled almost 40 minutes each way so that my younger daughter, Ava, could experience the swinging motion, that vestibular motion that is so important for your brain development and your sense of balance. So my older daughter ended up just waiting for us while we did the therapy, but I thought I'm living in this beautiful area of Palo Alto And there should be a playground where I could take both of my children to play. It's an outdoor play experience that we were not able to have in our own community.
0: So how did you get the city of Palo Alto involved then?
2: Well, I asked them what kind of playgrounds are actually ADA compliant. You see, at the time that I started this adventure, I thought the ADA compliancy was the gold standard. And that would mean that a park was designed with everyone in mind. But I learned very quickly on that ADA compliancy really sort of addresses more the physical disabilities and there are many other kinds. So what the city invited me to do, they said, why don't you design the kind of park you think we could benefit from with our community? So they gave me a plot of land within the city space, which is wonderful. And then I ended up researching and gathering a group of you know very dedicated volunteers that helped me for seven years to raise the $4 million, but more importantly, to do the research that really could prove that you could create a playground that really reflected the many kinds of people in our community, whether they're younger, older, disabled, not disabled, or aging population. We were looking to create that magical space that truly bridged the gap between those with and without disabilities
1: So, paint a picture for us, if you will. What would we see if we go to your playground that would make it distinctive?
2: So, what makes a visit to a magical bridge really magical is that regardless of your age or your size, you will find something that's just perfect for you in each of the different play zones. We found that the developmental milestones that a child's brain development requires early on and when i say development i mean it can go as as far as into the 20s right i mean my child is 15 now and but she's cognitively like a one-year-old so she really benefits from the same types of experiences that a young child benefits from but unfortunately today's parks are really made for small children and so You know, if she were to go to any other playground, she'd tower over everyone. Everything at Magical Bridge is sized to be welcoming to all sizes. So she can swing, she can spin. We know that there's a lot of people in our community who have adults in their families that have developmental disabilities that benefit from movement. So a Magical Bridge is aesthetically beautiful. We have a two-story treehouse. We have a community stage that invites activities. We have kindness ambassadors that are roaming the playground to model kind behavior. So we really want this playground to be reflective of the type of community that we see is a magical one. And that's one that welcomes everyone. And it's truly delightful for everyone. It's a place the whole family comes to.
1: It sounds like children may be relating to each other differently at this playground.
2: Well, that is the understatement of the year. That is absolutely correct. And I will say that because I've been doing this in such a kind of organic manner for the last decade, if you will, we have seen children and we have seen them move from those Early stages in elementary school to where now they're off in college, and I can tell you that these kids have been transformed by the experience and the awareness that there are people in this community that they've never interacted with because they've never had a place to interact with them. So, yes, the connections between people, the community connections I mean, it's just transformative, which is why. There's been such an interest in creating a magical bridge in many communities in the Bay Area and beyond because people have seen what it really can do when you create a place that really does welcome everyone.
0: We're talking with Elenka Villarreal, who is the founder and executive director of the Magical Bridge Foundation, which is really rethinking the way playgrounds are built so that it can be accessible to all. Every school has a playground. I'm wondering... To what extent schools are adopting this kind of model?
2: We have a partnership right now that we are developing a new kind of school playground that really reflects the needs of the children that have a visual impairment or perhaps the child with autism. Because at this time, the playgrounds that you see in our schools are the same kinds of playgrounds that you see in the communities at large. And so thanks to the Palo Altos, you know, kind of jumping in with us in in the early stages, they will be replacing their elementary schools with a Magical Bridge inspired solution. And so we're very excited to roll those out in the next year or so as a example of a different kind of school playground that becomes a community playground after hours.
0: I do have to ask you about the cost, this all sounds quite expensive and also you live in a pretty affluent part of the country, actually the world, and so I'm wondering how transferable this approach is to other communities.
2: A magical bridge playground, the marquee magical bridge playground that we call a custom playground, is still in the four to five million dollar price range. The school playgrounds that we're designing We have partnered with a company out of the East Coast. It's Play World, and they're a consortium. They are part of a consortium called Play Power. So they have a variety of wonderful options for us. And we are in the process of creating a cost-effective school playground. We are very aware of the budgets that schools are faced with. And so as a result, the school playground solution will reflect those price points and will not be anywhere near the price of a magical bridge.
0: Okay, well, we very much appreciate talking with you today. We've been talking with Olenka Villarreal, who is the executive director and founder of the Magical Bridge Foundation, and really rethinking the way school playgrounds and other playgrounds should be built to make them accessible for all. Thanks for talking with us today.
2: It's been a pleasure speaking with you and we invite everyone to come visit Magical Bridge if they are in the Palo Alto Bay area.
0: One of the few school districts that has taken on the task of rethinking their playgrounds along these lines is the Brentwood Union School District. It's an elementary school district in Contra Costa County in the San Francisco Bay Area. We were fortunate to get Brentwood Superintendent Dana Easton on the line during what was already his second week back at school. Superintendent Eaton I believe Brentwood would be the first school district in the state to have constructed all their playgrounds to be fully accessible.
3: Yeah, we believe that that's true. Um, we had a an amazing parent foundation here that was started by some special education parents whose kids had difficulty playing in city parks. And so they raised money and created this great all-access playground in our community, and that was the inspiration for what we started. I soon realized after seeing that playground that Our playgrounds had 10-inch curbs that held tan bark, and it was really difficult for our students with mobility issues to play on the playground. And once they were on the playground, um, there really wasn't access to get up to the slides and the, the higher equipment that was up there. And so that was the inspiration for us getting started.
0: Now, that really surprises me because my understanding is that playgrounds are required by law to be accessible through the Americans for Disabilities Act.
3: Isn't that correct? Well, they are required to be accessible, but what's different is is that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have a wheelchair path up to your slides at top. And so for us, what we found is we had many students who weren't able to access that at all because of the way our playgrounds were set up without significant adult help One of the best days is we had a first grader on our prototype slide in our prototype playground that had never been on a slide before in his life. And he went down sitting with the principal after them taking his wheelchair up there. And as he was going down, he kept screaming, let's go again, let's go again. And so as a parent myself imagining a six-year-old that had never been down a playground slide, that was enough for me to convince me that we needed to convert all 16 of our elementary playgrounds to be all access.
1: That's terrific. You've talked about adjusting for students with physical disabilities. Did you also consider autistic children and children with other disabilities?
3: Yes, absolutely. We had a group, a committee that came together um, and worked with both some of the people that had put together the Special Kids Foundation playground, some people from the city, some experts. So other things that we entered in is we have tactile surfaces all around, we have braille, we have audio features. So our goal really was we wanted playgrounds that were a place to learn. Um, we wanted all students to be able to play in the same area at the same time without feeling different. And so we're really proud of what we accomplished so far.
0: I have to ask you about the cost because I can just hear other people saying, well, we, we couldn't afford that. Uh, how were you able to do
3: this? It is an expensive proposition. For all eight sites, our budget is about $4.5 million, which is quite a bit of money. You know, you can figure an average of a little over $250,000 a playground. But truthfully is all playgrounds in the state have a, an end-of-life cycle. And what we're hoping is is that when that end-of-life cycle comes, that the superintendents and the school districts and the communities will look at that as an opportunity to spend a little bit more money to make sure that every kid can access that playground. We were lucky enough to have a community that supported the idea and passed a uh, a bond measure to help us do this, among other things that we needed to do in our district.
1: Have you noticed that it may have affected the New Playgrounds children, the way they play with each other and the way they they view each other?
3: Yeah, well, that was one of our goals, right, is to break down those barriers. And I think the mere fact of kids being able to interact with each other rather than playing in separate areas because they're not able to access it has a huge impact. So, We're doing a number of other things to make sure that our students with special needs and mobility issues are included, but we do think that this has a big impact.
0: Just wanted to ask you, I mean, how many kids in your district?
3: Well, we have about 9,300 students. Are there
0: a significant number of students with these kinds of disabilities that I don't want to say warrant obviously every child deserves this but uh, there's a significant number of kids who could benefit from this in your district
3: absolutely well there's well over a dozen students at all of our elementary schools that have mobility issues and we definitely think it benefits them but more importantly you know our belief is that the students without disabilities also benefit from this greatly from participating in a more inclusive environment and Recognizing that students with mobility issues are are really no different than they are; they just have a different way that they have to approach playing. And so, uh, bringing them together, we think has a has a big impact, and we think it's well worth the investment we've made.
0: Well, thank you so much. We've been talking with Superintendent Dana Eaton from the Brentwood Union School District. Yeah, thank you. You no, know, one thing that struck me in having these conversations is that we spend so much time talking about what's happening in the halls of the state capitol, about what goes on in classrooms, all of that is really important. But we don't spend much time talking about what's happening outside of the classroom and in this case directly outside the classroom.
1: Well when you think back a lot of us spent a lot of hours on playgrounds and some of the fondest memories that I've got growing up. But thinking back also there were a lot of kids who weren't on those playgrounds and this is a reminder of that
0: and so really it's quite inspiring that there is this new thinking going on about how to make playgrounds fully inclusive absolutely and that just about wraps it up for this week in california education thanks to our sponsor the sd Bechtel jr foundation our producer is Shuka Kalantari. Our music is from Nate Schwartz Jazz Orchestra. And this week we have original music composed by our own Justin Allen. You can find us on iTunes and at itsource.org podcast. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week.